good people who have traveled from villages near and far. Lend me your ears. That's disgusting. Made of fail. We were unpopular before it was cool. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Help me out here, Spock. I don't speak loser. Listen to yourself, man. You're hanging with nerds. Good evening, everybody, and welcome yet again to Made of Fail. I am Tessa in for Dana and Kevin this month. Um, they had uh, other stuff going on, needed to take a break. So I'm now piloting this ship somehow that it, that's a terrible idea, but um, I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. Anyways, uh, joining me this time is Susan. Um, say hi. <laughs> hi. Hi, Susan. So Susan, why don't you um, introduce yourself a bit, let people know um, who you are, any kind of like nerdy stuff you're into, kind of any real life stuff you want to talk about? Oh, gosh, that's <laughs> like, do you want the short version or the long version? Whatever version you're comfortable with. Okay. Um, mostly I play a lot of WoW. <laughs> um, guess I'm also into a bunch of anime. Been watching more lately, thanks to you. <laughs> so that's a good thing. We've been having fun. Um, yes, we have. And I'm actually caught up to the current decade in terms of anime. So thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness for that. Um, don't really play a lot of other games right now, although I did just pick up Pokemon Sun, and that's yes. been really fun. Um, oh my gosh. I haven't really been progressing too quickly through that because I mostly just play it on my lunch breaks at work um, when I'm not playing Love Live School Idol Festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been, like, off and on this entire year. I've been, like, I kind of rotate between being totally addicted to it and playing it all the freaking time, and then, like, I'll go, like, a big gap of just not playing it. There's just something really... I don't know, it's it's kind of a nice way to kind of de-stress during my lunch break by playing it's, rhythm games. Yeah, it's a really good time waster. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, so I take about 10 minutes to actually eat my lunch, and then the, the other 20 minutes I sit there and play my anime rhythm games. Yep. So. Well, it's one of those, like, um, it's one of those phone games that I, because I, I, I played a lot more mobile gaming, like, this year than I think I have in past years. I'm not sure if that means anything necessarily, but, like, um, the Love Live one is, is, is kind of a nice one because you, it's, even though it definitely does kind of, like, tempt you to spend money on it, it's really, really easy to just play the game without having to worry about that part of it. Yeah, except then they release, like, the, the special promo packs, and yeah. I sit there and I go, ah, I need it. <laughs> so... I mean, ideally, you would be able to play without having to spend any money on it, but let's face it. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Actually, honestly, as a, as a free-to-play uh, player, I, I have done pretty well. Um, although then, of course, I'm not really free-to-play anymore because I occasionally drop money on it. But Well, I don't know if the... I, I think... 
I mean, you're not going to be competitive. You're not going to be ranking up in the top 10. No, but you don't spend money on it. For those kinds of games, I don't know if I really count like intro packs or like super sale packs or whatever that are like, you know, dropping whatever, like three, three bucks on the game, maybe like once, like that's, that doesn't really like count as making you suddenly not a free to play player anymore. I guess just makes you a free ish to play. It makes me really cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I've had similar stuff with, like, um, there's other, like, there's a game, another rhythm game called Demo that I played the crap out of early in the year that I dropped some money on to buy some packs, but, uh, to buy some, like, song packs and stuff. Um, Yeah, I have that one, too. I I don't play it quite as much because it lacks um, cute anime girls. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's The big thing Love Live has going for it over Demo, because I like the songs in Demo. It's it's nice. But it's also, I think it's harder for me to follow the actual rhythm icons because they're those weird little piano bars. It's a hard game. Like, that's that's a really, really tricky rhythm game. Um, I do a little better with the little bubbles that I have to tap. Yeah, like, and it's, like, that was one of the things that I kind of that hit me really early on in, the, in playing demo is like, oh, okay, this is going to be a little bit more technical because it's, it's, um, it, most rhythm games follow kind of the, the, either it'll follow like the singing for the beats or else like the actual like drum beats or whatever of a song. Demo follows piano notes and that gets, and like, and it's not just like, the rhythm of that it's like the location of them kind of it's like you're not actually like playing a piano but some of those songs get really technical on like how quickly and where you need to hit buttons and that's tricky yeah yeah and it's i don't know it's a little more um stylistically it's very pretty but the design of the game i feel like it makes it a little bit more challenging for me yeah. And I mean, we've had this talk about about the Love Live game before about how I have to actually turn off all the pop ups because otherwise I can't yeah. see the icons fast enough. Yeah. Especially when I'm playing on Harder Expert. Right. I, I'm it's... just like, uh, by the time I see it, it's already too late and I've missed a note. So. Totally. Yeah. Because it's one of those things where, like, uh, the game will do all kinds of, well, not like animations, but like the character portraits will pop up and they'll say stuff, like, as you're doing stuff and their, like, powers activate. But it's, it can be super distracting. Yeah. I mean, cute anime girls. They're they're pretty distracting. Yeah. Yeah, that, that they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyway, I don't just play phone games. I also play a lot of WoW. Yeah. yeah. And especially with the Legion app, I play that on my phone, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's been, like... Like, exclusively leveling my druid through the XP missions on my phone app. That, yeah, that has been, like, the the weirdest... I don't know about if weirdest is the right word, but, like, it's it's definitely been a different way to approach the game for me. Because, like, um, I, I don't use it nearly as much as you do, but, um, but I feel like... Because I played... Um, and apologies to people, we're, we are going to do some wild talk during this. We're, we're going to try to make it not the entire episode because I know last episode just spent the entire thing talking about wow so we'll we'll veer away from that at some uh, like soon here but um we'll limit ourselves to like five minutes yeah five minutes of wow talk so if you really don't want to hear us talk about wow just skip forward about five minutes (laughs) sure um but I I played a little bit of 
like I, I only really played the very very end of Warlords of Draenor, um, but like the garrison, um, I guess what's the word uh, management that went on with that sort of like even just the short amount of time with it I played it started getting really like annoying keeping up with it and um it's basically it, micromanaging the MMO right exactly and and um having the phone app I feel like makes uh managing the class hall a lot e I mean granted the, the class hall is a lot more streamlined in addition to that but being able to manage um you know, class or like follower missions and like uh, doing the whole uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for the um, research the research stuff. stuff and the the stuff that you basically have to like you click a button and then it takes some time and then you get a thing. So um, right, and so it actually it's kind of nice because one of the things that I didn't like about Warlords is how much time I felt like I spent in my garrison. Well, speaking, um, of, speaking of phone games, like that's that's kind like that setup is kind of similar to how some like phone games are set up in their um, I guess kind of gating how you can do certain things because um, Love Live does that with the um, what's it called the L is it the LP that um, you spend to be able to do songs live points yeah yeah LP. so uh, and that regenerates over over time so but like other games will do the certain like the um i know a lot of like the city management games are kind of notorious for this kind of thing so like the um the simpsons game or um the my little pony phone game um are are all like it, you click a, you click a button and your thing will be ready in x amount of time and it, so it's it's one of those things where like that kind of um design style bleeding its way into wow is so so i guess well um, it, it it wouldn't have been like i like the current model with the class halls a lot better than i liked the garrison because the garrison was everything it had all your resources for all of your professions it had like a good portion of your end game progression was actually gated behind uh like garrison missions and I get that there's still some of that with the class halls, but, like, the quest items that you can get for dungeons, you're not actually getting dungeon loot out of the class order or the order hall missions. Mm -hmm. You're getting a quest item that sends you into the dungeon, so you're actually doing all the work, and your followers are like, yeah, F that, I'm not going into whatever black we found or cold. You, you. We found a thing, you go do, you go take care of this, yeah, boss, exactly. whatever. I mean, on, on the one hand, it makes me feel a little bit less like the boss because I have to go do all the work, but I actually like that part of it because I don't actually have to stand around in my class order hall. Well, it's a certain I can point, just... Yeah, at a certain point, it feels like the game's playing itself for you. Right, and and that was... I mean, it wasn't always like this, but Warlords of Draenor definitely ended up feeling like a Facebook game. Like, I kind of just, like, stood around in one spot, like micromanaging everything yeah and the class order halls i don't even have to go into my class order hall except once when i log in to check stuff once before i log out and then like during the day if i have a couple minutes that i'm like you know in the bathroom or something and i've got my phone on me i can just check oh i can send more people on missions that's cool and i don't have to worry about spending like whatever the three to four hours i get per night to play doing micromanagement 
Yeah, well, because you can, it basically lets you do the stuff that you can just basically push a button and then forget about it until it pops up saying, hey, you have a thing. So, like, your actual game time is spent getting things as opposed to pushing buttons and waiting. Right. Right. So, anyway, that was about five minutes. <laughs> we should move on from Wildfire. Wild sure. I well, mean, you know, we, we have lots to say. I, I could talk about WoW all day. Yeah, but, I could too. Um, um, and it, it's actually kind of hard to not just turn this into into like an hour of WoW talk, um, especially because like we've been we've finally started kind of like progressing into some of the more end game type stuff. And anyways, we're gonna move on from that. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll come back at some point to talk about yeah, WoW we can, we next can always, time. We can always come back to do that. <laughs> Next time the regular hosts decide to do a WoW episode, maybe we can, like, guest guests yeah, appear. Yeah, we could do that. Come in and yell about holy priests and stuff. Yeah. So, um, I guess, the like, the other major, and, and I know this is more of a minor bit for you right now, like, it's kind of the major other gaming thing that I've been doing has been the new Pokemon game, and it's been amazing, and I am loving it so much. <laughs> See, I am not a diehard Pokemon player. I, I enjoy Pokemon games, but I don't play them to the extent that some people do. Mm -hmm. So I like having it, and I like playing it, and it will probably take me a couple of months to get through the full story, because I'll just play it here and there. And I also keep getting distracted by the fact that I... Um, that I have Majora's Mask for the 3DS, too. Yes. <laughs> and I have been really enjoying that trip down memory lane. <laughs> so, um... How is that going, by the way? Like, is, is it um, compared to... Because I've actually been wanting to ask you about that. Like, how is that version of the game compared to the um, N64 one? Is it a good, like, uh, polish on it? Or is it basically just a straight... I mean, as straight as you could port... It's a pretty close port. Um, the things that I've discovered so far that are different, I'm okay with them being different because it's a lot of quality of life improvements. Things like the saving system. The fact that I could actually save during the first three days was pretty awesome. Before, um, I'll try not to be too spoilery, but I mean Majora's Mask has been out for over ten years at this point. So, um, the whole part of what irritated me and, and irritated a lot of people about Majora's Mask for the Nintendo 64 was the fact that because the game was so big and the save files were so big, it had the system where you kind of had an autosave for every three-day cycle, but um, you had to save at like a specific type of statue in the game if you wanted to save your progress partway through, but you could only activate them by hitting them with your sword. And for the first three-day cycle, before you get your ocarina and before you can manipulate the flow of time to speed it up or slow it down, you had to play through the entire three-day cycle before you could save because you don't have a sword. You're a little plant guy. You're a yeah. deep scrub. Um, and so there was this element of the first time you sit down to start up a Majora's Mask game, if you're playing the N64 version is you have to dedicate like two to three hours to play through the entire first three-day cycle in order to get to a point where you can save. E. Um, maybe it's not quite that long. I'm sure somebody out there will correct me on how long it actually takes to get through well, three days. Yeah. But 
been a, um, been a while since that game has been, I mean, out. So Yeah, well, so one of the things they did is that the statues are all already activated, so you can just walk up to one and save, which is great. Um, so far, I haven't had a situation where I've lost power to my 3DS, and, and I don't know what that would do to my save file. One of my uh, biggest irritations playing through, the last time I played through um, Majora's Mask for the N64, I was doing the Water Temple, and there's kind of an ongoing, like, inside joke, I guess, except it's not really an inside joke, because even people outside of the Zelda fandom understand that Water Temples in Zelda games tend to be, like, the worst ever. Right. And in Majora's Mask, there's the added element of each zone that has a temple or a dungeon um, also has a great fairy. But the great fairy has been, like, split into itty-bitty fairies, Mm -hmm. because apparently the big, scary great fairies are really just, like, 30 little fairies, all pretending to be... There are 30 (laughs) little fairies in a great fairy suit. So... Just like stacked, to... Yeah, just stacked up one on top of each other in a trench coat. And... Right, in a trench coat. Except not, because they don't wear clothes. Um, just vines or something. It's it's a really weird character design. But So you can go through the dungeon without gathering up all these fairies. And you can complete the game without doing the fairies. But there's part of me that's kind of very completionist about um, Legend of Zelda games in particular. And I want to get all of the things. Uh-huh. Um and a lot of the stuff that you get from Great Fairies is is weapon upgrades or magic upgrades or cool stuff or masks. Um, there's a Great Fairy mask and there's a whole like separate mini game, I guess, in, in Majora's Mask about collecting all of the masks because you have to go out of your way to get several of them. Um, Okay, now but this, anyway, this is, me, um, this is me revealing that I have actually never played Majora's Mask. So like... Do all of the masks, like, turn you into those things that you get or whatever? No. No, you get you get three transformation masks. You have one that turns you into a Deku Scrub. You have one that turns you into a Goron. You have one that turns you into a Zora. Okay. And then um, you do the final temple as yourself. Okay. Um, and you have different abilities with each transformation mask. Those transformation masks are related to the dungeons in various parts of, of the map. That you're going through. And and Majora's Mask is sort of breaks the mold for Legend of Zelda games in in a lot of ways. Um, partly because you don't have the three dungeons and then seven dungeons um, set up. Um, you just have four. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of five, I guess. I don't know. Depends on what you count as a dungeon. Because there's, um, like, the part where you go up into the moon is kind of like a mini dungeon. There's challenges, but you don't end up fighting a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so where was I going with that? Oh, I started off the story because I was talking about the terrible experience that I had last time I played right, Majora's Mask I, on the N64. I totally, I totally interrupted you. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. So I was doing the Water Temple. I was gathering up all the great fairies, or all the, all the great fairy pieces or whatever. And I had gotten the last one, and I was doing this like race thing it's a swimming race against some beavers and you can get an extra bottle from it and so i was doing that and the power went out which meant that it reset me back to the beginning of the three-day cycle and all of my progress that i had done with wipe 
And I was sitting there going, I, I can't even do this right now. I can't go back I, and do all of this all over again because I was near the end of the three-day cycle and I put yeah. the game down and I probably didn't touch it for 10 years. Yeah, no, I so. have totally done that before with games too, where like <laughs> if you, and, and like not just games, but like any, I feel like anything kind of feels like that. Like if you lose a bunch of progress, um, it just becomes the amount of effort and the amount of motivation it suddenly takes to pick it back up again is just like gargantuan. There yeah. are so many games that I've stopped playing completely just because I either lost progress or lost, like, or, like, the save, did like, forgot to save, or, like, I I still have not ever, like, there's um, Final Fantasy oh, X is one of those games I've never finished because I lost my progress and just never could work up the, the like, amount of caring, I guess, to start playing it again. Um, there's, there's the so many like games. <laughs> yeah. This is the part where I reveal that I don't think I've ever actually finished a Kingdom Hearts game. That's fine. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> oh gosh, have I finished? I'm trying to remember. Well, I've definitely finished one and two. Um, not on anything other than like the normal modes, but like, um, I have I started playing some of the side story stuff. Never finished any of that. So, I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I was kind of like wanting to pick up the the one point five thing because it has like the um, a couple extra games in there that are some of the side story stuff. But I also feel the need to like start from the beginning, and I don't think I'm out of the. Um, starting area yet on the save I have on your PS3? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you can play it again. Whenever I, yeah, you feel like I it. could. I, the problem is I keep winding, like, I keep, um, whenever I wind up playing the PS3 over at your place, I wind up, like, going back to uh, playing uh, Hatsune Miki games. So. Yes. Yes. There is that. <laughs> It's like DDR for your fingers. It is. It totally is. And I get to put, like, characters in awesome costumes and make up little, like, soap opera <laughs> gay drama stories <laughs> because I am a weirdo. Okay, we're, we're on a nerd podcast, so I don't think we're allowed to, like, call ourselves weirdos. Oh, I can still call myself a weirdo. It's Okay. It just means that the people I'm talking to are also weirdos. So they probably they probably understand. Yeah, I'm not excited. Like I'm not worried about judgment necessarily. Well, maybe a little bit, but I'm not really that worried about judgment. I'm just you know stating facts here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fine being weird. <laughs> uh, it's fine. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it started talking about Pokemon. Um, I and then I got off on a tangent no, it's about Majora's Mask. Tangents, tangents are like half of how this podcast works, I think. So, um, but Okay, will you explain the avocado thing to me before we go any further? <laughs> okay, so I, um, <laughs> I don't necessarily know. I, I, know I, I know I have heard the full story about like the explanation behind this. There's, there's an inside joke about... Um, sacrificing an avocado for um to the podcasting gods or whatever to make sure that the recordings don't like screw up um oh. I, I 
there is a larger story behind that, and at one point I knew it. Um, I just know that it's a thing, and it's, uh, yeah. Um, uh, that's another thing, probably. Uh, I'll get, like, people telling me about after this. (laughs) Oh, well, I figured I'd ask. No, it's a legit question. (laughs) Um... You aren't getting, like, a lot of background noise or anything, are you? Not as I'm far all... as I know. Okay, because I'm fidgety, so I keep, oh, like, I totally am too, reminding so. myself not to tap things and, yeah, like... Yeah, I'm yeah. doing the same. Hopefully it won't pick this up too much. If it does, hopefully it's not too difficult to edit or too disruptive to the point that it needs to be edited. Um... Anyway, Pokemon. Oh, Pokemon. Yeah, so um, I haven't gotten that far i mean i I say that i i've completed the first two islands um out of four i guess um so i guess i'm like halfway through um but i um i'm not going to say too much about like i mean to be fair like pokemon games are kind of hard to spoil because they're all i mean granted this one does definitely have some differences in the story and i'm not going to talk too much about that kind of stuff but like they all kind of follow the same kind of format um, I don't know. I just really, I'm really enjoying a lot about this game in, in a way that I, um, cause I, I, I've been kind of an off and on Pokemon fan. Um, I definitely what like was way into it, um, for the first like three or four generations and then sort of fell off for a bit. Um, I skipped, um, by and large skipped Black and White and Black and White 2, um, played through X and Y and really liked that game. Um, although a lot of that had to do with the fact that I could, um, dress my character up in a bunch of different outfits. And, um, yeah, there's a running theme between, like, games that I enjoy, I think. (laughs) I was gonna say, we could probably have an entire discussion or an entire podcast episode about all the various dress-up games that we play. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And what they're supposed to be played as, but we play them as dress-up games. (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah. So, let's, you know what? Let's just go down the line there. So, yeah, like, Pokemon... You're gonna go down the list? Okay. Well, okay, so, like, Pokemon X and Y had that (laughs) to start with, and, like, and one of the things that I really like about Sun and Moon is that they they took that concept and expanded on it. So, um, especially following um, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, which was the re-release of the um, the third generation. Yeah, uh, Ruby and Sapphire were the third generation, um, where they suddenly didn't have the um, customizable characters. Um, so Sun and Moon has uh, like in addition to being able to just like create outfits and um and stuff like that you also can like mess with your hairstyle mess with your hair color um for the female characters you can do um a little bit in the way of makeup not a ton of customization on that end but um i think mostly it's just lip color but um you can also change eye color stuff like that um i don't know if the guys actually have any like specific like extra bit of customization um Facial hair? I don't know, because, like... The no, wait, because they're, like, 10-year-old Yeah, the, the, the kids are supposed to be, like, 11, so, like... Duh. I don't know, that was always, like... Be a really weird. impressive 11-year-old. Totally. I don't know, I... I it's that's one, of the, that's one of those disconnect things that, like... I, I guess I guess it's kind of normal to, like, want to, um... 
or maybe it is, I don't know if it is or not, is it's kind of normal to want to, like, project yourself onto the characters you're playing, I guess. And, um, like, I... I get kind of weirded out when I start remembering that, yeah, I'm playing an 11-year-old kid in these games, I guess. I don't know. Um, well, I don't think it's that far out of the norm, though. I mean, if you think about it in terms of games with a lot of character customization, generally that's that tends to be for older characters or for more adult characters. Mm-hmm. Mostly I'm thinking of things like MMOs, I play a lot of The Sims, there's character customization in that, although you could arguably customize practically anyone. Um, but then, like, RPGs and stuff, I'm just trying to think of games off the top of my head that you're playing as, like, a kid, you know, most of the Zelda games you're playing as a kid. Right. Um... JRPGs uh, in general have kind of like that's tend kind to be younger thing. protagonists. Yeah. Like yeah. tend to be like, and I mean like really young. Like I mean like between like ten, like eight to like fourteen ish. Usually, like it's it's actually pretty rare to have a JRPG where the characters are older than like twenty. Yeah, because I think even like games like and and that kind of there's a little bit of like just kind of weirdness when you start like actually like looking into like oh how old is this character supposed to be and it's like I think oh I want to say like Fantasy Seven like the characters are like eighteen and nineteen and stuff like that and it's like no way. <laughs> um, well, I mean that probably goes into a more there's definitely a bigger a, a bigger scale social issue there. Yeah, there's there's definitely um, like cultural differences with that kind of thing and and the same thing kind of there's it, it gets also kind of weird like when you go into anime and stuff like that because like those characters tend to skew a lot younger and um it's one of those things that like i i almost always like the way i tend to approach um anime and manga and games and stuff is like usually in order to make the characters make sense to me from like a maturity level and the way that like the story like the kind of gravity of the story is i tend to like add 10 years to the character right i'm just thinking off the top of my head when we watched your yuri like that is they're not as sexualized as a lot of yuri anime is but at the same time they're like in what seventh grade they're in middle school yeah they're in middle school and i'm sitting there going no i don't i didn't go on dates like totally yeah like uh, the the first the very first episode like has akari like forgetting that she's not in elementary school anymore so right right so it it's i mean that particular series does a good job of not sexualizing the well or kind of making a joke about the sexualization a little bit. A little bit, yeah. With, I mean, that's, um, that's kind of um, uh, Chitose. Chitose's whole thing, yeah. Um, but it's not, like, it, it's not gratuitous. No. To the extent that a lot of the series that, like, you know, we were talking about Love Live, those characters are all in high school. Yeah, yeah. And though it's not super sexualized, it's definitely a waifu bait um, oh, absolutely, series. Yeah. Yeah, and you're I, supposed I have, to perceive them as available. I yeah, you know? I have I have mixed feelings about like I I love the Love Live series to death, but I also like have kind of some rough feelings about it too. Well, uh, especially how queer baby it gets. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Like when when Love Live Sunshine is literally ripping plot like plot threads out of like old like Yuri Hime 
like uh, publications. It's just like, okay, there's, I, I said something along the lines of this on Twitter at one point, but like, there's a certain point where you go past the point of, um, of subtext and you're just in denial about what your show actually is about. Right. But it can never be explicitly like, you can never actually have explicit lesbians because all of the fanboys have to perceive these characters as available yeah. and yeah. dateable. Yep, pretty much. And that's so. very frustrating. But that's well, also that's, its own... That's a whole other... <laughs> that's a whole other topic. It's um, a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I had made it... So, like, speaking of, like, customizing characters and playing dress-up and stuff, I had made a joke at one point with somebody that, like... Because um, another one of the games that I did that for was... Um, uh, what is it? Um... King of Fighters 13 has like a, a character like you can make your own color palettes and that was I, I think I actually spent more time on this fighting game <laughs> playing dress up than I did actually playing the fighting game and I, I uh, and I think I joked with one of my friends at that at the time that like um but like only I could take like this like uh genre of game that's like considered like kind of on the more masculine um end of the of the gaming spectrum and uh turn it into a doll dress up game. <laughs> uh, like I literally well, I literally had like um it is it, it's always one of the like it, it's it's a um complaint I have throughout like all of the games that can allow this kind of customization is that like they never give me enough slots to make outfits or colors or whatever it's going to be like i always max them out yeah i always max them out really fast and um, it's one of the things that like jumping back to wow for a sec with like the whole transmogging thing as far as i can tell so far because i haven't managed to max it out yet as far as i can tell (laughs) the outfits you can put together for transmog doesn't seem like there's a limit challenge accepted i will if there is one i will hit it like that's 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 gonna be that's going to happen Um, well going off of the the wow tangent again without derailing the entire conversation here back when i well back when i first started playing before transmog was a thing like 90 percent of the reason i wanted new gear and better gear out of raids was so that i had a set that matched oh absolutely yeah like questing gear looked like garbage i nothing matched my character looked like shit oh man so playing can i swear on the show yeah no go ahead oh okay (laughs) my character looked like shit or looked like she'd gotten dressed in the dark or like just magnetically attracted random pieces of scrap <laughs> to her body and used it as armor. It was terrible. And once I got into progression rating, I was like, what do you mean? The sets actually match? That's awesome. Um, and then, of course, Cataclysm came along and we had transmog. Well, but... yeah, like, so starting out on an RP server in Burning Crusade, um, like, up through Cataclysm when transmog... Transmog happened in, at the end of Cataclysm, right? Uh, I don't even think it was the end. I remember people, like... It was, yeah, during Firelands that that hit, right? Yeah, I remember everybody and their mother was wearing the Cursed Vision of of Sargeras. Yeah, because I remember, like, I remember putting together um, outfits and, like, holding up the raid because I had to go transmog before I I zoned into the the dungeon. Um, um, But, yeah, like, prior, well, actually not prior to that, because... That, that that wasn't a thing that changed until but anyways point being um 
I held on I to every... say it was earlier I... than Firelands because I stopped doing much right. by the time Firelands came out. So it might have been, if it wasn't at the launch of Cataclysm, it was pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I held on to every single piece of gear I got because I wanted to be able to make outfits and put them on and like use them for RP and or even stuff that I was not ever planning to use for RP because I didn't make sense for my character. I still kept because I was like, oh no, this looks cool and I can make a thing with it. <laughs> Hashtag um, RP or problems. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so like that was, uh, and, and that problem persisted after the transmog thing happened because like I still... Um, Dresses. I have all the dresses. Oh man, the 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 um stupid um I mean they're not stupid, but the the um oh gosh, what are they called? The the new the Chinese New Year lunar festival dresses. Lunar festival, yeah. Um, not not just like not just the actual dresses that are dresses, but just robes that are pretty and can be used as dresses. I have entire bags on my rogue of cloth items that she can't transmog that she just wears in RP situations when she needs to dress up and look fancy. Yeah, well, some of that stuff still you can't transmog, so it's I still have stuff in my bags that that uh, I just kind of hang on to just in case I want to use them. Uh, yep, it was funny. Like towards the end of Wrath, um, when I was uh, playing my tank still, um, and Kevin was healing, um, when we got into situations where he was getting bored, I would uh, swap out of whatever plate gear I had on and go into my Lunar Festival dress and tank in that. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> uh, good times. Yup. Good times. Speaking of dress up. Yeah. So there was, there was <laughs> a thing I wanted to, um, to bring up and talk to you about because it's something you are a lot more knowledgeable than I am about. And I think it's super interesting. Um, you are way into cosplay. Yes. Um, and it's a thing that I have wanted to get more into, and I've started trying to get more into it. Um, I, I was going to say, don't sell yourself short, because you did a great costume this year at Anime Central, oh, and we'll talk you. about that a little bit. Yeah, we will. Um, because, I am. Yes. well, yeah, I mean, even, like, regardless, I'm still very much a newbie when it comes to, like, doing the cosplay thing and getting into it. And so I thought, like, what what... Um, when did you get interested in, in doing cosplay and what, what kind of got you started? Okay. I guess this is the part where I go, um, all life story ish Mm -hmm. because even though I didn't know it at the time, I was into cosplay back in like fourth grade because I was determined that for Halloween, I was going to be Laura Ingalls from the, uh, Little House on the Prairie books. And I didn't Uh want to just be a little, I I didn't just want to be a pioneer girl. I wanted to be Laura Ingalls. And so we looked at the book cover and we looked at the outfit that she was wearing and the illustration on the book cover and we made that outfit specifically. And I realized that like book cosplay is a completely different thing from like anime cosplay and video game cosplay. But the fact that I had taken a specific character from a specific book or a specific like property and had said, no, I want to make, I want to reproduce this thing because I want to be this specific character. And of course, I went around all Halloween saying, no, I'm Laura Ingalls when everybody <laughs> just wanted to call me like, you know, oh, she's a little pioneer girl. That's cute. And I'm like, no, I'm Laura Ingalls. And it was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> and that particular, um, that particular experience was, um, 
I probably didn't make the majority of the outfit myself. Um, I had a lot of help from my grandmother, who um, her mother, my so my great grandmother had been a seamstress, and so my grandmother was very good at sewing, and she always was making clothes for me and my sister. Um, specifically really, really frilly and lacy dresses for us to wear on Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. We always had a frilly, lacy dress for Easter Sunday that my grandmother had made. Um, my mom probably still has those in a box somewhere in the closet, but because <laughs> <laughs> she never gets rid of anything. Um, but around that time, because I had, I got really excited about this, this Halloween costume that I wanted to do, and... Um, I also had an American Girl doll, and I wanted to make outfits and matching outfits for my American Girl doll, and my grandmother was like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to sew, because I was years away from being in home ec, and they taught us how to make, like, what, a duffel bag, I think, so not not clothing, um, and so my grandmother took that as an opportunity to start teaching me sewing, and then um, I probably didn't make, like, an actual, like, cosplay cosplay by myself until um gosh what year was it that lord of the rings came out oh geez um wow i I was i was a sophomore in high school i can tell you that much i was a sophomore in high school the two towers no it was actually the third one it was the return of the king that came out return of the king was 2003 oh god wow that's that's scary wow Okay, so I was a, I was either a freshman or a sophomore in high school at the time, and I was really big into Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings was probably the first fandom that I was like rabid about. I was I was so into it. I was <laughs> I read all the fanfic. I was like I had arguments with people about the fact that of course Glorfindel never got to keep his own horse. They were always giving it to somebody else in the animated uh, film that, that they had made of Lord of the Rings. They gave it to Legolas. And then, of course, in the in the ones that they made, um, you know, that Peter Jackson directs it, directed, they gave Glorfindel's horse to um, Arwen. And I was just like, ah, he's an elf lord. He should have his horse. Anyway, <laughs> I could probably go for days about stupid Lord of the Rings. But... I wanted to go in costume to um, see it with my friends. And so since it was Return of the King, I looked back at the two towers and there was a particular outfit that Eowyn wore in like one scene where she's like running through the hall and she goes to like her brother's, her brother is dying and she go, runs to his, to his deathbed or whatever. And she's wearing this really pretty green dress. And I was like, that, I want to make that. And so over Thanksgiving weekend, I think, I made that dress. Wow. And up until about two or three years ago, I still had it. <laughs> and I still wore it to things like Ren fairs and stuff. But then I, I couldn't fit in it anymore. So um, I eventually did get rid of it. But um, it, it was like two or three days of really intense sewing. And I did it. It was fun. So, so from basically from the start, you, you started out with, like even your earliest cosplay stuff was um, creating your own costumes then? Um, yeah, yeah. For me, that's a lot of the appeal of cosplaying is um, the creative aspect of it. Now, some people just want to go as a character that they love and a character that they feel connected to or they just want to participate in the sort of cosplay environment, which it's a, it's a really fun community. It can be really great. Um, 
people are generally very supportive and very, excuse me, very encouraging of people who are new to it. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are cosplayers generally, and of course I'm making huge generalizations here. I have had some bad experiences with people, um, cosplay elitists and all that, but most of the people you meet just want to talk shop. <laughs> you know, they right. want to say, oh my gosh, your wig is amazing. How did you get this like ridiculous hairstyle to actually hold its shape? Or wow, that fabric is spot on, where did you get it? Or what did you, you know, oh my gosh, a clamp costume that actually looks like it defies gravity. How did you manage that? (laughs) I I swear, clamp art is designed to drive cosplayers nuts because there is no way that fabric actually does that ever. Yeah, no, I I know the kind of thing you mean. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so for me... The, the creative aspect of it has always been a, a big part of, of the appeal of cosplaying. And so the first anime convention that I went to was when I was a freshman in college. And I went with my roommate at the time, who was really big into anime. I had kind of just gotten... I guess I guess I wasn't new to anime. I kind of watched Naruto in high school and Neon Genesis Evangelion, which I have feelings about. And um, Chobits and Ghosts in the Shell. Um, oh. So I had I had some experience, but I wasn't like really deep into the anime subculture. Um, so I went to Anime Central in 2008. No, it must have been 2007. And I kind of did a, a a last minute closet cosplay. And um, for people who aren't cosplayers, closet cosplay is where you put together an outfit created um, from pieces that already exist. Yeah, either in your own that's closet. Very much, that's when I've done um, the times that I've done cosplay. It's that's been more the way I've put stuff together. Right. So characters like L from Death Note um, is almost always a closet cosplay because you can use you can use clothing that already exists out there in the world, and of course you supplement it with things like wigs and special, you know, specific shoes and things like that. Um, but and and that's not, I mean, classic cosplay is just as good as any other kind of cosplay. But So I put together this outfit from kind of an obscure series, because at the time I was like, oh, I'm such an anime hipster. It'll be interesting to see if anybody recognizes the character. And nobody did. Oh. Um, <laughs> it was a character from Gunslinger Girl, which I think I showed you an episode you did. of. Yeah, you should And be. it's like little girl robots, cyborgs, not robots, little girl cyborgs um, being like assassins and um eh, you know but I had I had a great time um and I had a really good time with my friends and the people I went with and I was just blown away by the level of um talent that was represented in the cosplayers who were at Anime Central and for those people out there listening who haven't been to Anime Central it's the largest um anime convention in the Midwest and it's like the third largest in the country I think Mm mm-hmm so it's a big convention. It draws a lot of really talented people from all over, um, not just the Midwest. We get people coming in from each coast. You know, it's we get yeah. people coming in internationally. Um, it's a really, it's a really big convention, and it's it's a very talented group of cosplayers who frequent it. And so I decided I really needed to step up my game for the next year, and I decided that I was going to do like two or three new costumes and. Um, 
I was going to make it all myself. And that's the year that I made the Zelda costume. <laughs> so Awesome. That, and that's the one that you won. I mean, I know it wasn't, was it at Animation? No. Oh, no. No. Um, I didn't. I didn't place at all at Anime Central. Like I said, it's a very, it's a very steep competition um, for their Masquerade Awards. And I think the year that I entered was actually the second year that I wore the Zelda costume because I I made my Zelda costume in 2008, and there were some pieces of it that I didn't that I wasn't too happy with the way they came out. Mm-hmm. And so I made Zelda 2.0 for 2009 and that's the costume that I was really really excited about I was really proud of I tried some new techniques I'd done armor with fiberglass because this is kind of before Warbler was like widely available in the United States we didn't have a distributor here Mm -hmm. and so you had to order it from Japan Um, and at the time I was not really confident in ordering things from overseas and having to deal with shipping and really expensive shipping at that so I didn't do Warbler, I did fiberglass, and it was, like, the stuff you use to repair your car. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, to do body work on your car, and it's, like, a, it's like a mesh fabric, and then you, you combine these two reagents um, to create a resin that you paint over this mesh fabric. Um, and so I started with, like, a craft foam base for the armor bits, and then I fiberglassed over it, and it, it was, like... I mean, because it was a resin, it was stinky and it was sticky and you had to let it cure. Um, I still have the pieces of the armor. They have not held up well over time. (laughs) Um, Well, having been transported back and forth from Arizona and um, basically not stored in the best uh, conditions, they didn't. Uh, they're a little misshapen and right. if I ever if I ever did a Zelda costume again I would probably use Warbla just because it's a little lighter and it's less prone to shattering. Okay. And Warbla um, is um what it's it's a heat reactive plastic. Okay, yeah, you've you've pointed that out to me before. I knew it yeah, sounded so familiar, I just couldn't remember what it was. Basically, um the premise behind Warbla is it's like a, it, it comes in like a long sheet. Or, well, not really long sheets. Like, it comes in sheets. Like, um, it's probably about the thickness of, like, a heavy poster board. Um, but it's plastic. And you can heat it up with either a really powerful hairdryer or um, I actually have a heat tool that I got for that purpose. <laughs> um, it's the same kind of thing you use to strip wallpaper off of your walls. Um, but you can do it with a hairdryer. Um, and you just warm it up enough to make it, like, pliable. And then you sculpt it over, generally people still use kind of a craft foam base, so you build your armor piece out of foam, and then you sculpt the plastic over it, and then let it cool, and then you can, like, paint it and stuff, and it's, um, and it, and it holds its shape. Awesome. So, um, I'm hoping at some point to be able to really experiment with and, and try working with Warbler, because like I said, I haven't I haven't done an armor-intensive costume since Zelda, and it wasn't really armor-intensive. It had like three or four pieces that I had to make. Um, if I do end up doing my Halia costume this mm-hmm. year, it's going to be, there's going to be some Warbler involved. Awesome. Especially for the <laughs> giant ship that's like coming out of her shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> but I also get to make a wing harness for that, so I'm really excited about that. <laughs> probably the number one reason I chose that like chose that character it's a wow character it's a wow boss um but one of the reasons that I really want to make that costume is 
it's a lot of techniques that I haven't had a chance to work with yet or that I haven't had a chance to experiment with yet. And like, I get really excited about learning new things and learning new techniques and, um, kind of challenging myself. So I guess that's, yeah, a long tangent. What have we started talking about? I, um, it doesn't really matter at this point, I don't think. Um, okay, so you you did ask at one point about the award. Yeah, um, yeah. At the time, I was working with a group of photographers who did cosplay photos for people who were either entering into competitions or just people who were out in the hallways enjoying enjoying being cosplayers. Um, uh, there are companies that do this um, and charge for it. It, um, it was the kind of thing where we started out not charging for it because we just wanted to showcase all of the talent that was out there. Um, and we had a website and we would put the photos up on the website and if people wanted to order prints, they could. Um, but it was the kind of thing where we just, we really wanted the cosplayers to get a chance to have really nice photos taken because, um, you know, you can't always guarantee that that the person who's taking photos of you in the convention hallway is going to have good lighting or that your eyes are going to be open or you're going to be posing the right way or, um, you know, and you can schedule photo shoots with professionals, but then you're, you know, paying a lot of money just to even like do the photo shoot. So, um, it was a group that I was working with and one of the, one of the other women in, um, the cosplay group who's still, um, still a friend of mine, um, fish who has just been in Japan, uh, for a year and so oh yeah uh, okay you haven't actually met her I but, haven't but I know I I've heard a lot about her <laughs> yeah so she um was involved with a smaller convention down in um Kentucky and when I say smaller convention I mean like a fraction of the size of Anime Central mm-hmm. and um it was my first time going to a smaller convention and I took my Zelda costume and I was like, Oh, this will be fun. You know, I'll get to see, I'll get to talk to more people. It won't be as overwhelming because one of the things about anime central is the crowds are, um, enormous and it, it gets a little overwhelming for somebody with social anxiety. Um, especially when it's just like, you go to cosplay shoots and it's just like 50 or so people all from the same. Um, well, I mean, you remember the undertale. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, that and, was, and that how was, ridiculous that was. That was pretty hectic. Right. So, um, anyway, we went to the smaller convention and, um, I kind of entered into their masquerade just because that was the year that, I mean, it was a costume that I was really proud of. I had entered the anime central masquerade and I hadn't placed or anything, but I was really happy with, you know, how it had turned out. And, um, I ended up winning. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of one of those, like, big fish in a little pond, I guess. Well, I mean... <laughs> which is not to say that which is not to say that other people who were entered in that contest were not um, skilled cosplayers, because they were. Um, but you had a lot less costumes with things like lighting effects or... Um, well, yeah, because I... I mean, I was up against a full Optimus Prime mech suit. The, at Anime Central, and there's no way that I would win against, like, a dude who's in a 10-foot-tall Optimus Prime costume. That's right. just ridiculous. Well, I mean, of course, I would give it to them, like... Well, yeah, like, because we... And somebody had done a Shadow of the Colossus costume, like, oh the gosh. big big Colossus thing, and I'm sitting there going, okay, my costume doesn't have stilts, like... Right. Well, I mean, because we had, um, like, we went to the, um, 
the uh what was it the the cosplay like the masquerade is that is that what that was called the 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 show for that is masquerade yeah we went to that um this last year and like some of the stuff there was just really really like elaborate and kind of like crazy effects going on with it and and yeah like you said like lighting effects and leds all over the place and um, i will say that leds have become a lot more um commonplace nowadays than they were when i first started cosplaying mm-hmm. um it was like a rare thing to see somebody who had light up parts on their costume well i guess because the technology's gotten a lot more accessible and a lot less um cumbersome to make use of yeah, I mean, as as technology and especially like the the electronic parts have come down in price um, and become more accessible to people, and you don't have to worry about strapping a giant battery pack to yourself right. <laughs> and overheating, um, then it, it's become it's become something that people uh, incorporate a little bit more. Um, I haven't done I haven't done a costume yet with lighting effects, and I don't think that Helia has any glowing bits. So uh, I might have to. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure you could actually you could probably work <laughs> something into that that would make that I don't know, because then but then if you're gonna like go effects, you have like other effects for Helia that that you might worry about. I guess like mist effects or whatever that's probably gonna be pretty tricky to to pull off. So well, actually, apparently you can take the um, you can take apart e-cigs. Oh electronic cigarettes right. and use the vaporizer oh my to create miniature smoke machines That's... and one of the Arthas cosplayers at BlizzCon this year had done that for her Frost Morton sword. Oh my gosh. I still need to watch that. I still have not gone through that that, yes, uh, that cosplay there was some, uh, contest. There was some amazing talent. Um it was really it was really great to see so many people who are really passionate about their hobby. Like mm-hmm. Most people do not, I mean, you don't get a lot out of cosplay. The BlizzCon contest in particular, I think, has, like, a, a significant money prize for the winner. Uh, but that's not the case at most conventions. It's not something that you get paid to do. It, generally, it's the opposite. You're spending a lot of money on fabric, and you're spending a lot of money on materials. Right. Um, and it's something that you do because you're passionate about the design of the characters. You're passionate about making things. And you look at something or you're playing a game and you're like, wow, I think I could create that costume. And I think that I could make that look awesome. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. And I don't think you, I don't think you get into cosplay unless you really love at least some aspect of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So, um, I know, uh, you said you're like your favorite aspect to it is kind of the creative side um is the zelda cosplay like your favorite one that you've created or is there others that like you have particular like good memories of like the actual like creative process of that um i think i like the zelda costume because i did a lot of different techniques on it but Mm -hmm. i don't think it's my favorite costume to wear because there are certain parts of it that are kind of uncomfortable right um and I had this issue at the time. Twilight Princess was still relatively new, and so I was I was dressed as a character from a series of games that everybody loves, from a game that was relatively current. And so I was getting mobbed. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Um, I did 
have an issue with somebody coming up and hugging me without permission and kind of breaking part of my armor. Oh. Like, it wasn't so much an issue of personal space. I mean, I'd rather not be hugged if I'm in costume, but it was kind of a younger convention goer, and so I was willing to overlook it, but it kind of broke part of my costume. (laughs) I was like, So um, I, I sometimes felt like wearing the Zelda costume was a lot like um, just wishing it together, <laughs> just being held together by wishes at that point. Um, I mean, it, that there there are things that I could do to make it more stable now that I have learned a bit more about the processes that I used. Uh-huh. Um, but at the time, it was like it was almost a stressful experience to be walking around in it and worrying about what part would fall off next. Yeah, I could, I, I could see how that would be a thing so i think one of the costumes that i really enjoyed wearing the most was probably my sailor neptune costume Mm. um because it was a lot more comfortable yeah i bet (laughs) you wouldn't think that wearing like a tiny little mini skirt would be comfortable and actually there was a year that i went to ohio con um which is in january oh and I wore the Sailor Neptune costume in January and it was like three blocks from our hotel to the convention Uh, center and my legs were frozen by the time we got there. uh, Um, But at the same time, like I really liked the wig for it. I just, it felt really pretty when I wore it. I mean, it's kind of a vain, it's kind of a vain thing, but you were were, like stunning in that thing. (laughs) Thanks. Um, And it was relatively simple. It's another one that I had kind of made over Thanksgiving weekend, like, because I was in college at the time, and I didn't have my sewing machine. Um, I actually did end up getting a sewing machine of my own, but I was, at the time, I was using my mom's, and so I had to make my costumes when I came home for break. Uh Um, And so that was one that I finished almost entirely in, like, the four days that I was home over Thanksgiving. So, I mean, it was pretty simple. It was, like... um, there was a skating dress pattern that had been discontinued in like the 1980s or something, but you could still buy it on eBay for like four bucks or something. And I took that and I adapted it. And so the costume itself was actually, um, it was kind of constructed like a onesie, Uh like for kids, (laughs) like for for babies. So (laughs) it actually had like snaps in the crotch Ah. so that I could, um, so that I could get out of it to use the restroom. Without having to take the entire thing off, because after wearing the Zelda costume the year before, and, like, that part, I wasn't even, like, it wasn't even, like, a leotard, it was just a pain in the butt to get out of it, so, like, I just ate really salty foods and hoped I didn't have to go to the bathroom all day, um, but... I, I realize that that's probably way too much information for people. But <laughs> no, one of the I things you have to think that's, of that's, when you're doing a yeah. costume or when you're planning a costume is, I how am I going to go to the bathroom? How am I going to eat? How am I going to stand? And how am I going to walk around? I like, think that's totally relevant information. Because I think it, it is one of those things that people don't necessarily think about. And then, like, that becomes a thing you then have to deal with in the moment. Right. It's like, you know, when you were 10 years old or whatever, and you were putting on all your snow gear to go out and play in the snow the instant that you get everything on and you're in your snow pants and you're in your snow jacket and you're buttoned up and like got your gloves and your hat on, that's the point when you're going to have to go to the bathroom. Exactly. It's the same, it's the same way with cosplay. <laughs> like, especially if you have anything resembling a leotard or a, like a bodysuit or something that then has something else over it. And you're in layers that you have to take everything off in order yeah. <laughs> to do that. 
you're you're gonna get into it and then you're gonna be like oh I should have used the bathroom first so that's, that's been one of the the I guess benefits to the fact that that my the the two bits of cosplay that I've done have been I guess closet cosplay is that it's that has not been as much of a thing because um it's just clothing at that point right right and there are definitely there are definitely ways to be kind of clever about cosplays and sort of quality of life when you're actually wearing them Uh um you can hide pockets in things even if they're not supposed to have pockets so that you have a place to put your badge and your money keys or whatever um you can do like what I did with my Sailor Neptune costume and have like a fastening in a convenient area so that you can still, you know, perform necessary bodily functions. If you've got something that covers your face, you can make sure that it's something that you can either remove partially in order to eat or drink. Like even if you're not planning on wearing it the entire day and you don't think you're going to need to have a meal if you've got like a, a face mask or something mm-hmm. the ability to wear wa- or to drink water when you're in especially like a big costume because you you tend to overheat really quickly right um so things like that you know it's just like there's a lot of crafty little construction things that people do um there was actually some uh, the year that I was at Phoenix Comic Con, and they were walking around in a full Gypsy Danger mech. Oh suit. wow! Okay. And yeah. this was in this was in Phoenix in July, Yee. so it was probably 104 degrees outside. And like the, um, I wanted to to ask this person how they were managing not to die, <laughs> um, yeah. not to die in a costume because I was dying dressed as like. I went as a Team Aqua Grunt from Pokemon, you know? <laughs> and it was just, like, loose pants and, like, a crop top. And I was still burning up. Like, it was... I mean, it's it's Arizona in the summer. Yeah, of course I mean, it's hot. Those, those desert summers are... <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, there's this person walking around in a full mech. Like, are they using computer fans to get airflow through there? Or, you know, what what's going on here? And, and of course, they had, like, the, the reactor portion of it um if people haven't seen pacific rim uh go watch it because it's the best um but anyway there's a there's a little reactor core in the center of the the robot's chest um and it was lit up and it spun and everything and i was just like this is amazing so um that was a really cool costume there there are um and i know this from um one of my friends who does um fursuiting um there are like coolant like entire like cooling systems that people have for like um i know for like full full body like fursuit stuff which i imagine probably are also a thing for like mech or like big bulky stuff like that where you can fit that into there i would Um, think that there's probably some crossover there in terms of methods to keep cool and um like comfort things like that because I mean when, once you t- once you start talking about costumes that that completely encase your body um then you have to worry about things like exhaustion and heat stroke <laughs> totally yeah no that's, it's it that's like so. that's a really big part of that kind of thing yeah and you have to plan around that and you have to make sure that you're you know that you have 
breaks if you need them and that you have a chance to sit down if you need to. And gosh, I don't even know how I would sit down if I was in a mech suit. Like, right. I mean, as, as dedicated as I am to costuming, I, I mostly work with fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to expanding to Warbla, but I have not done a full suit of armor. Um, there are people who are, like, really, really dedicated to, like, a very specific costume or a very specific fandom. Right. Like, um, the 501st, the Stormtrooper Regiment. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're familiar with them at all, they had a, um, they had a, a unit that was at uh, Phoenix Comic Con. And they are, like, they are dedicated to making sure that they're all uniform and they, like, they have groups that actually march in parades and stuff. It's right. really, it's really fascinating because it's, um, I think there's a, a group of people who do Mandalorian armor, too. Oh, wow. Um, in that same kind of style and vein, so. Yeah. It's, a. Uh, People who do armor, like, full full sets of armor, that's, that's like, a whole other level. Totally, yeah. So I kind of, like, uh, the, the fun part for me with the two that I've done, um, and it's, it's kind of been interesting because I do have, like, varying levels of social anxiety going on, but, like, I actually really liked the interaction part of things, like, actually being in... Um, being in my cosplay, like, at the convention and getting to interact with people in it. And granted, I mm-hmm. did two different costumes where that lent the, like, where they both lent themselves really, really well to that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I did a, a Derpy Hooves um, slash Muffins slash whatever other names she has. Um, and uh, and went around uh, handing out... Um, handing out mail to everybody and that was really fun and kind of led to some really, really, um, uh, I guess me- really memorable interactions with people. And then more recently at ASUN, I did, uh, my Temi cosplay from Undertale and that involved sitting in a box and, um, <laughs> like, yeah, but your poor knees. Oh my gosh. Like that, that, that was the, like the part that I completely did not see coming was like how, bad that was going to beat up my legs um, yeah we should have got you like the you know gardeners have those kneeling pads for when they're out yeah. and like working in the garden or something well, we probably should have gotten you one of those and it was or some pads or something well it was a combination of of just like the fact that just being on your knees like that or especially because i was kind of squished down to make myself look smaller than i am um, right but well like, then we just need to get you a bigger box yeah but <laughs> I, I know that was kind of a there was kind of a we, we had some concerns about like how big the box yeah. was and whether or not we were going to run into um, limitations. Um, well, yeah, we've a couple of my friends uh, in my regular cosplay group have run into um, issues before yeah, like that. Well, and I guess like leading off of that, like um, how much has that come up as a, a problem for you with, with either your cost, your cosplaying or like other people that, you know, like trying to fit within those parameters of what's like acceptable for wherever you're going, like for conventions or theaters or whatever you're doing that for. Um, it can get kind of annoying because most conventions have their own set of rules. Mm Mm-hmm. And while they tend to be very similar, especially the rules in regards to weapons, um, the rules regarding costumes are not generally the same right. um, from convention to convention. So, for, 
for example, um, I think Anime Central, your weapon can't be longer than four feet mm. or something. Um, or it has to be able to collapse down to four foot sections. Right. Uh, Which so, I, you know, I, if, you're, if you're talking about, you know, having a buster sword or having like a giant scythe or something, um, as long as you've got it in two pieces and you walk around with it collapsed and just put it together outside for photos, then you're okay. Um, but, you know, you can't walk around with a giant scythe. Right. Um, well, at, least I... not in, at least not in official convention spaces. And generally, um, I don't know if this is true at every convention, but at least at Anime Central, you can get away with a lot more if you are only sticking to the outdoor photo shoots. Mm. Um, but, of course, then you're relying on Chicago weather in May, which yeah, yeah. can be rainy. <laughs> and... Um, any place that you would need a badge to get into, your costume would be subject to um, those convention rules. And I think that's also true of the hotel spaces. And there's they're particularly um, keen on enforcing that uh, with fake guns. Right. Um, because of the issues with carrying around anything that even looks remotely like a gun. Yeah. Um, it has to be very recognizable as not a, an actual gun. Mm-hmm. Um, no live steel, like no steel at all, right. generally. Um, if you're a character who uses a bow, you can't have any sort of string at all. Oh, I didn't know that. Not even elastic or um, yarn or it, it's not a matter of tension. It's just they do not want you to have anything strung. Um, I guess that makes sense. Um... And, and there might be conventions where that's a little more relaxed, but um, at least Anime Central, they do not let you have anything strung. Um, right. So you would have to you would have to create your bow in the shape that you wanted it to be in and just act like it had a string. Um, right. But they don't want you to be able to actually draw anything. Yeah. Actually mm. put it into a draw. Um, right. And... I think what else generally the um, the safe um, dimensions for like an actual costume that is worn or that is like part of your body um, is about six inches in any direction yeah um, we had a situation with a couple of my friends who also cosplay where we went to Gen Con and um my friend had built a booth for his Papers, Please costume. Yeah. And it was an interactive costume uh, like you. Like, it was very much like your tummy costume <laughs> or, um, you know, it, part of the costume was the shtick right. that he was doing. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't taking money. He wasn't he wasn't expecting anything for, for this. It was just, it's like, if anybody's ever played Papers, Please, it's this really weird little indie game on Steam where you play as a border patrol officer in, like, a pseudo... Uh, a pseudo ah, I can say this word. Pseudo-Soviet state. Right. Um, and it's actually a really depressing game because you have to, like, decide whether you're going to be good at your job or whether you're going to be able to feed your family. Right, you know? exactly. Um, and... He had, like, he had had Vistaprint print up a whole bunch of little fake passports, and so he was, like, stamping these fake passports and giving them to people, and he had this accent, and he was all dressed up, and he had the little booth and everything, and um, even though it was in the within the dimensions of what the costume regulations were, um, we kept getting asked 
to move or getting access to leave and they kept saying oh well you don't have a license to be busking and we're like we're not busking because we're not asking for money that's what busking is and um i don't know it, it seemed to us like the rules there weren't being particularly uh weren't being enforced uh equally across the board because yeah. then you had like two or three guys who were dressed or people two or three people because you honestly couldn't tell um who are dressed up as Warhammer orcs, mm. which are big, burly-like costumes. And they kind of just plop down in one spot because those are costumes that it's really hard to move around in. Right. And um, they stayed there for probably a couple of hours and nobody asked them to leave and, um, you know, had a whole group forming around them to take photos and, and things like that. But anyway, uh, it, it was probably the issue of the fact that, that it was a booth and not actually attached to his body as uh. part of his costume possible that if we put it on straps so that he could have it on his shoulders and actually have it like hanging off of himself that might have solved the issue that we were having but right. um, generally I don't know if if you feel like your costume would be a if you feel like your costume would be difficult to get through a door like a standard door probably need to think about scaling it down a little bit yeah yeah um or sticking or sticking to the contests and the big open areas just for photos right which i guess so. it makes sense because like i mean conventions especially like the bigger ones are tend to be pretty packed with people so yeah and at some point it does become things like it's it's not just a traffic um like clog it's it's a fire hazard if you've got a whole bunch of people in giant costumes who are blocking exits or things right. like that um so the the rules are there for a reason and um you know it it, it would be really frustrating to get to a convention and have somebody to tell me that my uh my costume wasn't within the regulations um and that i wasn't able to wear it so yeah, I generally plan my costumes um, enough in advance that I can sit there and go, okay, well, I need to make sure that I have, excuse me, um, that I have the the costume or the convention rules for cosplay um, before I even start working on it. Because if I need to scale things down or if I need to figure out, okay, well, so for my Helia costume, she's got wings. How How big do I make the wings? What's the wingspan limit that I need to look at? Um, I think BlizzCon is a little more lenient, um, right. at least for the contest, because, like, the Diablo character that, that won that costume, I think, was huge. Well, yeah, when you're talking um, about Blizzard characters, you have <laughs> some crazy stuff going on with some of them, like, design-wise, so... I think their biggest requirement is that you have to be able to get up onto the stage, <laughs> which, <laughs> again, for some, for some characters in their games, yeah, would probably no. be challenging, Totally, um, yeah. <laughs> and there have definitely been people who've needed handlers in the past, and I've been to conventions, um, even Anime Central, where people have handlers to help them get around in their costumes. Because, again, when you're talking about things that obscure your your face or your field of vision, you need people to help you get around so you don't, like, crash into things yeah. or hurt So, I think there was a, what was it, like a dragon or something from Escaflone? Hmm. Maybe that wasn't this year, then maybe that was, like, last year. Uh, I don't remember it if it was this year. I probably would have, so it may not have been this year. 
well, anyway, um, generally like big, big costumes that kind of push the limits of the rules um, tend to have people helping, uh, helping you maneuver. I, right. I had a friend one year who actually it was the same year that I wore my Zelda costume. She was dressed as Imp Midna from Twilight Princess, Aww. and the, the headdress, the the mask that she wears, yeah. obscures one of her eyes, oh, and. Yeah completely obliterates all of her peripheral vision. So oh. she's looking out of one eye and that's about it. And she can see straight ahead. Um, so we had this game of Marco Polo going on <laughs> in the, um, in the dealer hall, <laughs> whenever she would kind of wander off in one direction, we'd be like, Marco. And she'd like come back and um, it was kind of funny, but that was another thing. Like when, when you're, it's really cool to cosplay as part of a group. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've got people who are willing to cosplay as the same as characters from the same series, because I mean, as cool as being Princess Zelda was, um, people got way more excited about seeing a Princess Zelda walking around with a Midna. Oh, totally. Or, yeah. Um, the day that it wasn't even from the same game. Like I was in my Twilight Princess version of Zelda, and one of my friends had dressed as Sheik from Ocarina of Time, <laughs> and we could not go into the dealer hall because people were stopping us every five steps to like, oh, can I get a picture of you? Oh my gosh, it's a paradox. You can't exist at the same time. <laughs> um, and it was, it was really neat and it was really, and, but unfortunately that was like on a Sunday and that was actually the day that I kind of wanted to oh, get all of my no. shopping done yeah. in the dealer hall. So um, we kind of had to like split up so that we wouldn't, <laughs> so we wouldn't be like causing traffic jams in the dealer hall. But um, I mean, it's, it, it's always fun to do to do like couples costumes or to do group yeah. costumes. I'm um, looking forward to trying to do one of those. Oh yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be so much fun. It's gonna be great. <laughs> so I guess um, one of the things I wanted to ask, kind of, was like, so for people who are who are on the newer side and who kind of want to get into this kind of thing, because I know for me, like the entire thing sort of felt really intimidating to try to get into. Cause it was, it, it was sort of one of those things that like looking at it and going, okay, where do I even start? Um, do you have any kind of advice for like people who want to get into it, but don't really know how to go about doing that? Um, I would say probably don't start with something that has armor. <laughs> I, I, I'm being a little facetious, but seriously, um, your first couple of cosplays may be a little bit simpler uh -huh. um, because you're still learning the techniques. You're still learning. And, and you also have to decide whether you want to be the kind of cosplayer who buys their costumes um, or whether you want to be the kind of cosplayer that makes their costumes. And both of them are completely um, like I don't differentiate between the two. I mean, because just because you don't want to spend hours and hours hunched over a sewing machine until you're like, you know, sewing through your fingernails or something. Um, just because you don't want to put in that level of effort to create the thing doesn't mean that you aren't passionate about cosplay. Like, right. and, and cosplay, buying cosplay can be just as expensive as making it. Totally. Um, because you still need wigs and you still need shoes and you, you know, it gets to be. So, so I guess before you get into cosplay, you want to decide, okay, what, what part of this am I really excited about? Am I excited? Am I more excited about wearing the costume or am I more excited about making the costume? 
And, um, you know, if you're really into the creative side of it, uh, there's a lot of great tutorials on YouTube, which was not always the case uh, back when um, I first started learning. It was harder to find good video tutorials. Um, cosplay was still um, a little bit of a smaller, um, I don't want to say elite, because that kind of has negative connotations, but it was not right. something that everybody at conventions did. Um it was like a dedicated group of so people less, who did it. Less accessible just by nature of the community not being quite as big yet. Right, because fewer people were doing it, um, or at least fewer people were doing it uh, on a large scale in the United States. Um, it, it was a it was a smaller community, and it was a little bit less accessible. Yeah, um, and certain materials were harder to come by. Um, there's a Decent forum that I haven't really been on for a while now, but cosplay.com um, is a good resource for um, kind of getting some, uh, getting a feel for what other people do. Um, some people will create tutorials there. Some people will have entire discuss discussion threads about specific characters and how to create a specific costume. Mm -hmm. um, there's an entire, like, probably 30-page discussion thread about making Sailor Moon Fuku um, and what the best techniques for doing that is, how to make giant ass bows um, <laughs> for your ass, because right. there are giant ass bows on your ass. Oh, yeah, um, totally. <laughs> And it's not as simple as just tying a big old piece of fabric into a bow. You have to, yeah, anyway. Um, there are probably people out there who like the same costumes or who like the same characters that you do and who have a lot of the same questions that you might have about how to create something. Um, and so kind of getting in touch with the, the community, uh, the, the cosplay communities. Um, if you've got local conventions... Um, there may be forums for those. Anime Central has their own forums that I'm a member of, and I kind of periodically look in there to see what people are talking about cosplay-wise. Um, and just kind of dip your toes in, I guess. Um, if you've never sewn before, don't be intimidated by it. Um, I started off learning how to sew following patterns, um, like simplicity patterns, Butterick patterns, McCall's patterns. You don't have to be a pattern sewer. Um, I mean, you can just make it up as you go. <laughs> um, so because I learned how to sew using patterns, though, a lot of, like, my first step, a lot of times when I'm doing a, a new costume is to look at the costume and then to kind of go through the major pattern catalogs and go, oh, well, I can, I can modify this or I can do this part of this skirt and then this part of this blouse and fuse them together into this cosplay looking thing. Um, and it's a lot of kind of like Lego pieces falling into place, That's if that makes sense. That. Yeah, no, um, totally. You're just taking, taking the bits and pieces from other, like, from other designs and, and making them into the thing that I need. Um, but I know a lot of cosplayers who don't even do patterns or who um, create their own patterns. And I have never drafted a pattern in my life. And um, it intimidates me a little bit mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because I'm not terribly mathematical. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of math that goes on with, with creating your own patterns, but it's also the kind of thing where you can like, you can make your own do it yourself dress form. 
um, by taking a t-shirt that you don't care about and wrapping yourself in duct tape and then cutting it off and like taping it back together and stuffing it full of newspapers. <laughs> and then you've got something that's like shaped to your body right? and you can like poke it and drape fabric around it and kind of use it as like a little, you know, MacGyver version <laughs> of a dress form. Um, there's there's tutorials on how to do that too. Don't just like duct tape yourself. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Go look it up. Um, but anyway, but like there are ways to to kind of just get into it. Um, you can take classes. Most Joanne Fabrics have sewing classes. Um, if you've never used a sewing machine before, there's a little bit of a a learning curve depending on what machine you're using. Um, I started on a, oh God, it's like a, probably, it's probably older than I am. It was my mom's sewing machine and it was a, uh, I'm not even going to be able to pronounce it because it's like Faf, P-F-A-F-F. Um, and it basically did frontwards, or it did, it did forward stitching and backward stitching and that was it. Like I could maybe do zigzags on a good day and if I lit a candle for the machine spirit, but, um, <laughs> It, it was not, like, it didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. The first sewing machine that I owned myself was a, um, I think it was a brother, maybe. Uh-huh. And um, it was kind of like an entry level. It did forward, backwards, zigzag. It had different modes. You could change the stitch length. And I I used it until it died. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I killed that thing. Um and so now I own a Husqvarna Viking, um, Victoria actually is its name, and it is a beast, and I can sew through, like, three layers of, um, pleather without batting an eye, which is pretty great. Um, it has not balked at any, um, at anything I've thrown at it yet, but it was also a much more expensive machine, so. Right. Um, I mean, I guess... I mean, there's going to be a little bit of an investment when you first get into cosplay. Well, actually, let me be upfront about it. Cosplay is not a cheap hobby. Right. Um, obviously, you can you can be frugal about it, but it is not something for people who are on a really, really, really tight budget because it's not because you will make mistakes and right. mistakes can be expensive. Um, fabric is not cheap. But you can always shop for the bargains. You can always use coupons. You can watch for things to go on sale. You can use um, slightly cheaper fabrics, things like that. Um, but just the nature of the hobby is that it does take a little bit of money. Um, I want to say that in materials alone, I probably spent almost 150 bucks on my Isolde costume. And that's not even considering the fact that I remade it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I had like two versions of that costume. So, um, and that's not counting the wig or, um, all that stuff too. So wigs can be expensive as well. And, and wig styling is like a whole other thing. I have not talked about wig styling at all. Oh uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that, that could be its own podcast episode because it's, um, it's a whole other set of skills. So, um, I guess, my advice to people would be to do your research first and kind of watch the videos, learn some of the skills, um, start small and, um, don't be afraid. Yeah. And don't, and don't sew through your fingers. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be a bad, 
that's um yeah cosplaying working on cosplay projects at four in the morning on the day before the convention is never a good idea do not be like me do not procrastinate until the last minute because you will stress yourself out to the point where you won't even enjoy it anymore Mm. um plan your projects in advance um because you don't want to get to the last day and go well i'm just gonna have to wear it as is and then you're gonna hate well if you're anything like me and you're a bit of a perfectionist, you're gonna like you're gonna know in the back of your head every single mistake and every single flaw in your costume. Um, don't do that. Yeah, Just enjoy enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy wearing the costume. Enjoy the fact that the people who are going to be complimenting you on your costume enjoy the same series as you. It's a great conversation starter. It's a great way to meet people at conventions who also like the same things that you do. Because if you're dressed as a character from Undertale and somebody comes up and goes, oh my gosh, you're the best Temi I've seen all day. (laughs) Or you're the third Temi I've seen today, but you actually have a box. And then you can get into a conversation about how much you both like the game because they recognized your character um, and clearly were enthusiastic enough about it to come up and say something to you. Um, And generally people will be very... Um, people will be very positive about people in costume. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I had to learn how to take compliments because the first year that I did, that I wore a costume that I'd made myself, anytime anybody ever came up and said, wow, your Zelda costume looks really great. I'd be like, oh no, this scene right here, it's not straight. And I'd try to like correct <laughs> them about how terrible it was. And my friends were like, stop, stop. You're not like, just take the compliment, shut your face and <laughs> smile and nod and say thanks. Um, so, you know, just in, enjoy what you're doing. Remember that you're in, that you're interested in cosplaying because it's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. Um, I would say also, I guess, from the other end of, like, the, the closet cosplay stuff, like, good sources are, like, especially if you're trying to be on the cheaper side of things, I guess, like, check um resale shops like yes um, my first cosplay or my first anime costume came from goodwill yeah goodwill or ragstock which is slightly more expensive or like if you have a store like that or um there's if you have some kind of like um army surplus store kind of thing especially like for military type cosplay like you can find really affordable um like official looking outfits because they are kind of official outfit stuff and mm-hmm. um and I guess it's probably not like it's probably I would say maybe for like early like first attempts at cosplay like maybe identify pieces that you might be able to just source from oh absolutely that kind of thing just to cut down on the amount that you have to worry about creating I would say that I mean, everybody's going to get into it differently. There are going to be some people out there who are going to go, no, I'm going to get a sewing machine and I'm going to teach myself how to sew and my first costume is going to be made completely by hand. But the way I kind of got into it when I first started doing anime costumes, um, I knew how to sew, but I wasn't really sure about cosplay. And so it started with an entire closet cosplay. And then it kind of went to, okay, well, I've got some pieces and I want to adapt them. And Mm -hmm. so figuring out how you can alter something into something else. And then realizing, oh, I could just make this thing. Um, And so that's kind of like a progression 
for your comfort level, I guess. If you're if you're the kind of person where you want to go, oh no, I just want to, you know, I want to do something that's kind of normal-ish clothing um, the first time, and then say, oh well, okay, I want to do this thing, and I can't find a shirt that looks exactly like that, but I've got this other thing that maybe if I just like trimmed it here or took it in here or just moved this thing over here. Um, you know, and just kind of ease yourself into it. You don't have to, like, you know, that stupid old saying, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You're not going to you're not gonna automatically become a god of cosplay right. overnight. Um, it does take some learning. And I know you said, you, you mentioned it a little bit ago, but um, YouTube is kind of a neat little uh, resource for just, like, yeah. super random things, too. Like... Um, that was kind of the surprising bit with like trying to research some stuff for for my last one was like I got the idea for like sticking the the snap buttons underneath the wig from a random YouTube uh, tutorial thing and like yeah. I guess you'll be you'll be surprised like what random um, just advice and like tutorials and just like how tos are just gonna be there if you look for them. Yep. And going back to, like, Warbla and things like that, if you're going to tackle armor making at all, there are some really great people who have made videos on the techniques that they use. Um, and it'll save you some frustration and probably some materials, too, if you, um, you know, if you make use of all the uh, of other people's expertise. Because, again, cosplay... You can be as much a part of the community as you want. Um, you don't have to be really active in it, but you can take advantage of the fact that people who, who make cosplay are very, um, I mean, by nature, they're kind of proud of their work and they want to share their techniques with people. I, I have very rarely run into people who are like, oh, no, I'm not going to tell you how I made this thing because I don't want any competition. It's like, no, you want to trade secrets. It's, you know, it's, it's a creative process and, and they're proud of what they do. Mm -hmm. So, and don't be afraid to ask people either, you know? Yeah. Well, um, awesome. <laughs> uh, and here I was worried I wouldn't be able to talk for an hour. I about know, right? we, we were, we were like kind of worried going into it that like, we, do we have enough to go with here? But yeah, we're kind of like running long actually. <laughs> um, so having said that, feel free think... to cut whatever you need to out of it. <laughs> Having said that, then I guess it's about time that we start winding down. Um, so thank you uh, very much for being on this with me, Susan. And um, Anytime. thank you everyone for listening. And this is, I think, episode 83 or 84. Hang on. I should have had that up. Uh, Woohoo! <laughs> um, 80-something. 80 80-something. 80 this is episode 80. This has been episode 83 of Made a Fail, and thank you all for listening, and have a good night. Yep, bye.